Welcome back to What Would Mozart Do? Today, I'm talking to mezzo-soprano Lydia Haynes. In our chat, she shares her story of how suffering from cancer influenced her work and led her to becoming a teacher before embarking on her postgraduate studies to become a professional singer. Hello, Lydia. How are you? Hi, Nika. I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of What Would Mozart Do? Um, can I ask you to just introduce yourself first to the listeners and talk a bit about your background? Of course. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, what a pleasure to talk about the small career I've had so far and the things that I've done in it. So, um, yeah, my name is Lydia Jane Haynes. I'm a mezzo-soprano. I'm currently doing my master's at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Um, but I also, before that, had a previous life as a full-time secondary school teacher. I trained to be a teacher and I'm also massively, massively interested in pedagogy and working with young people. So I feel my career... I. I guess there's no one way to start into music. I mean, you know, it's uh, people think you're suddenly born and then you want to become an opera singer or a violinist. I don't think it's like that. I think it's different for everyone. But mine was quite vastly different due to um, a health crisis that kind of made me who I am today. So when I was younger, like everyone, always loved music, always singing really loudly, always having a really good time was really passionate about it and knew that I wanted to pursue the voice as, as an instrument. I wanted to see where that would take me, whether it's opera or a song or anything. And then unfortunately, when I was in sick form, I was uh, 16, I was diagnosed with cancer in my neck, in my thyroid. And that has been one of the most formative experiences of what kind of made me who I am today, because... Due to that, I had to have um, two throat surgeries and then um, radioactive iodine cancer treatment. And that was a real game changer for me because the sudden path of, oh, I'm going to go to a conservatoire and do all these things was taken away from me because in those surgeries, there's quite a high possibility of permanent damage or even permanent paralysis of the, the laryngeal muscles so actually I wouldn't have been able to speak if it really went badly or just wouldn't have had a strong or powerful voice anymore yeah so it was a real um panic it was a real difficult really really difficult time but I'm kind of in some ways almost glad that it happened because it made me the musician I'm today and it took me on the career path I'm on. So um, to cut a long story short, I was treated at a fantastic hospital, UCLH in London. And um, and I was fortunate that there wasn't very much damage at all to my uh, throat and to the muscles for singing. And with some speech therapy and a couple of years of hard work, I was able to start singing full time again. But in that meantime, I decided it would not be a good idea for me to go straight to a conservatoire because I guess I needed that, you know, quote, something to fall back on that people always <laughs> say. <laughs> you know, if you say, oh, I want to be a musician and your parents say, OK, but you need something to fall back on. Um, the famous cushion. <laughs> and, yeah, famous cushion. And so I, I actually went to University of Birmingham and I studied academic music. Um, which was fantastic. That gave me such a deep understanding of the analysis, of the harmony, of everything that I loved. It was also hard work. It was not easy, um, especially when you just want to sing and, and you're made to do <laughs> <shanky>. <laughs> But it was a fantastic 
specific um, time. And I'm really glad that I did it because I learned so much more than I would have ever done before. After I um, graduated from University of Birmingham in 2016, I actually worked for a year um, as a teaching assistant, a special educational needs teaching assistant. And that's because I'd always known I really, really wanted to work with young people. Somehow you use music and I don't know, kind of, you know, that that saying of making a difference. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And then I trained to become a teacher the year after I did an in-schools training, which is where you don't do the um, university part. You just put straight in schools and you train on the job. So it's sort of an, an apprenticeship kind of way. Yeah, yeah, they call it this like schools direct, teach first, these sorts of companies so that mm-hmm. they all sort of offer this um, and you just go straight into school and you work on the job. And I think that was great for me because I didn't need the um, sort of uh, a lot of the theory behind it because I had already worked as a teaching assistant. So I knew a lot of the um, kind of ins and outs of what would happen. Yeah, so I spent I spent a year as teaching assistant, then I trained to become a teacher. I finished my newly qualified teacher status and I taught in Tower Hamlets and that's where I live. Yeah, and then I decided in 2019, um, this is my time for me to finally do what I wanted to do all of those years ago before I was diagnosed with cancer. And I wanted to study the voice a bit further. And uh, that's when I joined the Guildhall and... I still teach part-time. I absolutely love it. And I kind of balance both these careers, training of opera and song, as well as teaching in secondary schools and some primary schools here in Tower Hamlets where I live. And so is this, that teaching focused on music or are you teaching other subjects? Oh, I should have made that clear. Sorry. Yeah, I'm a music teacher. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, I assumed that, but I thought let's let's just be clear about that. So a few questions that come to mind, but let's start with the teaching aspect. How has your experience as a teacher and explaining the voice and singing, etc., to your students? How does that influence your own performance and your own development as a singer, I guess? Well, it's interesting because I've never, I've not worked very long as an actual singing teacher. Mm-hmm. I was working as a secondary school curriculum music teacher. So we were doing things like percussion and um, teaching the blues and keyboard skills, things like that, um, doing a bit of samba, all sorts of things. And of course, using the voice as well. And I think just going to the most basic part of this is how you make it good. This is how you keep it a little bit quieter. I think that actually really does make you... um, reassess everything as a performer but I think for me more than the actual technique side of it um because that's not my my main interest in singing although of course it is interesting for Mm -hmm. someone who's had lots of surgeries but my main interest is I love the storytelling I love it because the thing is is that when you are teaching a group of you know 30 year nines or year tens or at one point I did some work in a through school so I worked with year ones and twos and when you are trying to keep them occupied for a whole hour (laughs) it's that kind of ability (laughs) to get every single person or at least try to every single person in the room get their attention on you to Mm. keep them somehow in what's this story going to tell next what's going to happen you know what I think 
I realised when I was working with year 11s or year 12s, year 13s, so these are people who are 16, 17, 18, I started to realise, okay, Young people are actually the same. In fact, even when we're 35 or 60, we're learning the same as we did when we were in year one, when we were five years old. Because what we need is just someone to explain something to us, someone to engage us with a story, someone to be passionate about something. And then we feel it too. And that is just like, I find that so magical and so wonderful that music can touch everybody, no matter what type it is. There's so much there for people to feel excited by and interested in and yeah I think I think I would have eventually maybe found that out but teaching just got me there so quickly and I just really that was so important as a singer and I and I guess that then translates to this this sensitivity to communicating with the children um, translates to being sensitive to your audience whichever audience that might be, when you're performing as a singer. So what do you, what what specifics would you say are parallels that you can draw between your children audiences and grown-up audiences, if you like, or professional audiences that you've noticed? (laughs) Literally everything. You know, it's so funny because I think... um, we all sort of think, oh, adults are, you know, are one type of audience and children are another. And yes, of course, that is true. There are certain contexts and things that children won't understand or won't have experienced yet. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, I wouldn't be singing Kinder Toten Lieder to children because yeah. that's just really my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually think there's lots of things that, that do take experience to learn, which is another thing I can discuss later on, but about having that life experience as a singer. I think mm-hmm. for me to be able to sing something that is about something quite macabre or complex I think you have to have had that experience but I couldn't that's another thing but um no with the with the audience and and the way they are I really do feel there's so many similarities so for me as a teacher it would be you know doing the whole waiting not being afraid of silence that is so interesting to me yeah that's a big lesson isn't it yeah a massive lesson you know kind of um allowing for people to feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> maybe you're punishing them. <laughs> maybe you're, maybe you're going to let them sit in an awkward two minutes, <laughs> or maybe you know. It's just about having that. Um, I don't know. It's that. It's it's that power to do that. And I think as a teacher, of course, some more successfully than others. And I guess some a lot of it is personality type, and a lot of it is experience. But to be able to stand there in front of I don't know, year one, so five-year-olds or so, or also, you know, some some year 11s who all seem like, the, you know, some 16-year-olds who seem like they might be a bit scary. But actually, to be able to stand there and really maintain your, your narrative and what you're trying to say, that is so, so helpful as a singer. And you kind of realise it is also when, you, when you're explaining something, when you're teaching it, the very basis of pedagogy is to explain, first, we're going to do this, then I want to explain this and you will do this. And actually, when you're singing a song, that's what you're doing. You're explaining something. Um, you know, it's it, in a song cycle, there's often an overriding lesson to be learned, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in Windreiser or Edition or something. But there's between that, there's little asides. And that is so interesting as a teacher. Sorry, I sound like, I mean... <laughs> Maybe it doesn't make sense, but to me it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it all makes very, very clear sense. Absolutely. 
I want to talk a little bit about identity and the f- perhaps the fear of losing it or the need of changing it based on your experience with your illness and then those crossroads where you realize you have to consider an, an alternative path from what you've wanted to do before. What was that like? Oh my gosh. Do you know what? I feel like I talk about it all the time now, but that's only because for five, six years, I didn't talk about it at all. Yeah. You know, I was absolutely, I felt gagged by my own sense of of things like of shame, of anger, of of hopelessness. There was a lot of really miserable feelings that surrounded it. Yeah. I just, you know, it's it's so hard, isn't it, when you when you're a teenager. Life is just, I really think it is the most difficult time of your life. And I think um for me, I felt such deep resentment that at a time I was, you know, trying to discover oh, who will I be, what will I be, can I make something out of this voice? Can I do something? And you know, I had other interests in my life linguistically. I was really interested in French and Arabic and different things. Mm-hmm. And and you know, we're not all just I don't think we're all just born to be one job or one thing. I think we have a real collection. I think that's so nice that nowadays you can have that portfolio career and be a lot of things. <laughs> but I felt a great deal of anger that that possibility was was almost, I felt, taken from me at the age of 16. And, of course, some people say, well, you've got your voice back in your life. And, <laughs> yes, that's great. But obviously, the, the complex paths that the voice had to get there was deeply frustrating there were times when I felt like giving up and there were times when I thought I don't think it's possible to be a singer who's had so many problems with my body and has been left with chronic illnesses due to having no thyroid and endocrine systems being very um, difficult it was a very difficult time and I kind of felt that I was almost like a a fake you know a a fake some kind of you know that imposter syndrome of (laughs) oh how can you say that you're a singer but, you know, it's so interesting because actually it was my mum who said, why don't you get a teaching degree? I know you're interested in working with young people. And I've always loved, loved coming and doing, you know, um, little workshops and stuff with young people. I did that at university. I did that when I was in sick form, actually. And my mum said, why don't you get the teaching degree? And I said, no, I want to be a real thing. You know, I want to do it. And she was like, great. <laughs> she's very, um, she's a very straightforward northern woman. And yeah. she was like, but if it returns, if that cancer returns, you'll have nothing to fall back. You'll have nothing. So get a real a qualification that will last until end of time Mm -hmm. and actually I'm so glad that I did that and to be honest I found the whole identity thing is very complicated because so in a in teaching I always felt very accepted but in in classical music I actually interestingly felt that people would uh would occasionally be quite quizzical of someone who had decided to be a teacher first they would think Mm. oh did you not you would make it. There's a bit of um, do you not believe in yourself kind of things going on. And I think we have to change that narrative because that's crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's it's not useful for anybody. I mean, for those who who were making those comments, you know, it just shows mm. I I think it it shows a lack of understanding, but also it's from your perspective. I guess it's it's the issue of having had to deal with so much up until that point, and therefore your perspective was perhaps much broader than mm. somebody who had a more plain sailing path, as it were. Mm. 
you know definitely because you when you when you sit on a young people's cancer ward and you watch people who you become you know friendly with and and when you unfortunately see some of them deteriorate into into not surviving or you know you you understand that things things are very real life is kind of very much now or never and and that's great you kind of you I think it definitely creates a, a, a mentality of, okay, let's do this as a kind of determination. Mm-hmm. But also simultaneously, interestingly, it also gives you a kind of sense of realism of, okay, but you know what? If this doesn't work, I also need to have something else because you can see that things don't always go how you thought they would. Yes. And that's um, and that's really interesting. And, and you know what? I have to admit there have been few years happier than the year I trained to be a teacher in a school called Beaumont School in St Albans. I absolutely loved it. I trained under two fantastic pedagogues mm-hmm. and these are two people who absolutely love their job and bring joy into every single day and I think you could do a lot worse than than do a job that you love and still be related to music. So I think there's this um just a bit of a shout out there to Dave Ganane and Han Doan, by the way. But I think <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I feel that you know when when I arrived at Guildhall, I hadn't been in a conservatoire environment before, and I was shocked to see um the sort of uh, kind of sense of despair. If oh god, if I don't make it, what if you know all these worries? Mm. And I'm thinking, but there's so many jobs, and that's why I love your podcast because I think there's so many things you can do that in this life that you never even thought of and music is still entwined in it and is still in that fabric of your job or in your life and you can still love your job it's not a kind of oh I will be as big as Maria Callas or nothing you know it is life's more complicated than that in a good way. And so where do you think does this stigmatizing of this perfect career come from where does that you know, because I think we are all putting that pressure so much on ourselves. And therefore, it's it's often that people are so focused on making this one thing work, which sometimes isn't working, that they're to, to detriment of themselves and a, a career that is more nuanced. Where do you think does that come from? Where, where's the core of the problem? Because that is what needs to be addressed, I guess. I always think back to um, the film School of Rock, where Jack Black obviously plays a a rock musician who is not succeeding as as he would like. Mm -hmm. And he picks up a job as a supply teacher and because he just needs some money. Mm -hmm. And he makes a joke at the in the staff room. He says, In you know, if you can't do teach. (laughs) <laughs> and he can't teach, teach Jim. And he makes that joke and everyone knows that joke. And it's yeah. <laughs> and I think it's um a horrible phrase you can't do, teach, because actually I really think the opposite is true. I think you actually have to do to you have to be able to do to be a good teacher. And that doesn't mean that you have to have the most, you know, beautiful voice to be the best singing teacher or you have to be the best pianist to be the best piano teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that actually there are so many different ways to understand, you know, how how pedagogy works. And I keep on using that word and sometimes people don't even know what it means. But obviously, it just means the process of passing on knowledge to another person. Yeah. And, it is, and it's 
it really fascinates me that that is a, a real thing. And I don't know if it comes from, you know, sometimes people resenting being taught in school because school is, especially it used to be, and still in some ways is, a, you know, one size fits all kind of system. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic if you are someone who's really good at physical things or you're, you know, you're a kinesthetic learner or whatever. There, there are so many complexities in that. And that's why I'm very interested in how the brain works with music, you know, because it, it, you can be amazing at one thing and really terrible at another, and that's okay. So matching those up is complicated. But I don't know. I think it comes from the fact that lots of people, they feel, oh, if I can't do it, I'll just become a teacher. But I really want to, obviously, I can't change it single-handedly, but I wish we could see it differently and see and say, do you know what? I love singing. I love singing to people. I love telling stories. I love doing what I do. But what I also love is I love seeing other people do that. I love teaching that passion or or I just love passing that knowledge on to someone else because when you've got something really good, you share it. And that's, I think that's the most wonderful thing. And, you know, it's about having that kind of passion that you want to share it with someone else. So I, I'm, I feel very, um, sometimes a bit deflated when people think, oh, well, at least you can go back to teaching. You know, it's, it, it should be actual privilege to be able to teach yeah. rather than have to do. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, um, I think, a privilege and such a responsibility, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's not even just a responsibility of... Um, you know, or will I get this person to love music? But of course, the more complex things when you're working in a school, a secondary school, all sorts of things, you know, child protection, are you looking after these people? Are you are you making them great young people? That makes you more of a rounded individual when you consider all the things that make a human, all the things that make a young person. Mm-hmm. You actually then consider, you look at other things differently. You think, okay, right, well, same with the voice, okay? So, a child is not just someone who needs to learn. They're not a computer, okay? In the same way that as a singer, your voice is not just some kind of mechanism that makes a noise, okay? You're not just like going to do one thing and be great at it. It's mm-hmm. so important that you have multitudes of other of other parts of you that that make that make you as a as a performer and as a musician, the kind of well-rounded student thing, I think is important for people who are training at conservatoires or, you know, maybe people who are singing on the Met stage. I think I'm sure they're still working on that as, as an artist. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's something that I think about so frequently, that kind of the privilege to be able to, to share in that with young people and the responsibility. Yeah, because I, I guess it's also, as we've mentioned already, not everybody is a teacher. And so being able to have that ability to convey knowledge through a certain process that is clear to the person that you're teaching, I think that in itself, I view as a, as a big privilege of being able to do that. Because it, yes, it's something you can teach, but to some people it comes more naturally than others. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I was a born teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Not only well, because I love the sound of my own voice. No, I'm joking. But it's, um, <laughs> I think it's because, yeah, I think it, yeah, it does come more naturally to others. But, I mean, for me, I really feel, I mean, this is quite controversial, but I feel that if you're not, if you don't have the ability to somehow, you know, of course, train with it, work with it and become better, but, like, if you don't have that ability to somehow capture and talk about something and be dynamic enough to keep young kids or young adults who are very (laughs) uninterested in something. You don't have that 
make them interested in something, then really, how are you going to keep an audience interested in something? Because, you know, not every audience is going to be, you know, not every time you sing a Mahler song cycle or something, is it going to be just an audience of people from the Mahler Society? You know, often <laughs> that audience, they'll be, quote, not that the Mahler Society are not normal people, but they'll, they'll be, quote, normal people. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> You know, maybe they've only ever heard one piece by Marla and they really liked it and they thought, I'm going to come along and I'm going to listen to recital and maybe I'll like it. Maybe they've only, maybe these are people who've only ever heard, um, you know, one Vaughan Williams piece and actually mm. think, oh, I'm a bit scared. And if you have that ability as a teacher to bring them in to say, don't worry, I know it seems scary at first, but I can... I can break it down for you. I can make this accessible to you. That is so important. You know, I think a good teacher can make Wagner accessible and important and 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 relevant to even the most uninterested young person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a passion and something that 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 survives forever because I don't think that as classical musicians, our lives we can just, you know, exist with ourselves and each other. I think that pandemic has shown us we can't just survive in our own little world of, oh, do you like this? Yes, I really like this. You know, we need to open <laughs> up and, and bring people into it. Of course, I'm very aware people have been doing that in all sorts of companies and it's amazing. And I love seeing it. We love to see it. But I feel like that's a really good thing as a teacher. You can bring that in. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, I'm I talk so much <laughs> about it, but I just love it. That's wonderful. <laughs> so since you you brought up the the issue so let's go with it what have you learned from the pandemic what did you do during the pandemic that was different that makes you since we're now hopefully on the verge of exiting it what are you taking from it that made you stronger and has directly influenced your work as a singer god so much i can't believe it's been a year somehow it feels like it's been a decade and yes. somehow it somehow it feels like it's only been a few months it's a very strange time oh god I would say the most important thing that I'm definitely going to take from this is the slowing down mm -hmm. I have always felt like I'm in a race against everyone mostly myself can't help it it's kind of because I'm competitive it's also kind of because I'm quite sort of hyperactive as a person mm -hmm. um, And it's because I'm, you know, motivated and whatever. But actually, when you realize, okay, we don't know when things will be, quote, normal again. We don't know when performances will happen. We don't. So actually singing stuff that I like because I like it has been a really, really joyous thing to do. Discovering parts of my voice because before I would have thought, oh, I can't sing. I'm so I'm a mezzo, right? I'm, I'm not great at singing super high right now. And um, <laughs> just you wait, <laughs> she says. <laughs> and I think, you know, exploring those parts of my voice, of of my artistry and thinking, okay, I can do that because right now no one's judging me. I'm not, you know, gonna gonna have to do that next week in a performance I'm not going to have to you know put myself out there for people to give me feedback <laughs> because mm -hmm. sometimes that's always helpful having that time to do something and just do it for the joy of it and also just to sing you know some musical theatre songs some jazz music some something that I love because I love it so taking things at a slower pace 
space has been really, really important to me. And I've really, I've discovered the things that I once loved and had kind of spent time forgetting about because I had been focused on other things like poetry. That was always one of my foremost loves in life. And I've rediscovered, okay, <laughs> I remember how to read. Reading is a thing. I can do it. I have the time <laughs> at the moment. Because yeah. I'm always saying to some of the kids I teach, oh, make sure you're reading, make sure you're reading. Don't spend all your time on your phone. Of course, I'm spending all my time on my phone, not reading. So yeah. <laughs> it's been really important for me to take that advice to myself and think, okay, I'm just going to sit and read a whole set of my favourite Philip Larkin because I can, mm-hmm. because I literally can. So that's the number one thing for me, I think. And then also I think uh, the the the. I felt so much better about myself. Okay, so when I felt that sometimes in the classical world, as I as I mentioned, people would say, "Oh, you you were a teacher, were you?" You know that kind of yeah. worry that I had. Um, and some of it self inflicted, and some of it is so sorry. Like some of it is um, is probably my my own projection, but I think a lot of it is also based in fact. But in this pandemic, I think it's really made us realise: okay, if you've got another career you can do. That's actually really helpful. Yeah, and I've had people say to me, "Hey, how would I teach this? How how would you, you know, how would you advise teaching a seven year old?" Or you know, and actually, I'm thinking, okay, I have something to offer here. That's really great. Yes. <laughs> so that's been a good thing as well. So there's that that sort of the potential of being a consultant of sorts actually has opened up or reared its head in a way that you can help others to teach. Yeah, so isn't it funny that we all experience imposter syndrome? And even as a teacher, sometimes I experience imposter syndrome. I think, oh, but, you know, I'm only 25. Who am I to give people advice? And then I think, hold on, I've done the job. I have lived the job. I do have expertise to give advice. Of course, I'm not as experienced for 40 years. Of course I'm not. But I think, you know, actually feeling confident in myself at saying, I can help this or I can help you with this. I can provide some really helpful activities that can, you know, help someone teach and get a bit of money. And I help, you know, and, and that's been yeah. a really thing to be able to to say, oh, well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? That's a really nice, I think it's a nice feeling. It does sort of reduce some of that imposter syndrome as a teacher and also as a singer when you realise, okay, I have something to offer to the table. I have something to say. That's important. Yes, because I, I think because we are always working so hard in, you know, being the best of what we can be in our careers, etc. We, as you mentioned earlier, you spoke about being in competition often with yourself. It's just keeping the perspective that there will always be somebody that knows more than you, Mm. but there will also always be somebody that will know less than you and would need you potentially to help them to clarify something. And I think it's because we we forget about the balance on, on both sides that that's where the imposter syndrome comes in because we are constantly comparing us ourselves to those who we look up to. Oh, 100%. Like, there is no way I would know anywhere near as much about the voice as my teacher does. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he knows how the voice works inside and out. Like, that is just... And that's why I'm, you know, deferential and happy to learn from him and want to do that. But also, yeah, it's about knowing, okay, don't compare yourself in just that. Also know that I have something to give to other people and even... 
even when I have discussions. So with young people, whether they're in year one or year 13, mm-hmm. so interesting that you learn from kids as well. You know, yes. you'll be oh, I didn't know that. Or, you know, when they ask you a question and you you think, I have literally never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> because they just have a different perspective, don't they? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Like, I remember singing, um, doing, do you, remember, do you know um, the Britain Friday afternoons? Or the yes. Yes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I was doing, um, old Abram Brown is dead and gone, you'll never see him more. That yeah. really sweet one with, with some year twos, I think it was. Uh-huh. And one of the kids was like, but why did he have a long brown coat? Why? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know. I never considered it. And, and, he's, and this kid was like, well, if it buttoned up before, what does it do now? And I thought, yes. oh, my God. I've never thought about that. You know, like how amazing to have somebody who is, I don't know how old are those, six, seven years old, be like, what about this? Have you thought about this? And um, you have to admit, no, I haven't. Thank you for bringing that to me. And that is so, so wonderful. And also sometimes embarrassing when you're like, I actually don't know. But you have to admit it and own it, I think. And you know what? In relevance to, to what we're discussing right now, I was thinking um, earlier in our conversation about how important it is in this transferable skill that when you learn a bit more about teaching and pedagogy and how it works and how brains kind of pick up things and and how Mm -hmm. much to repeat them, to understand them, etc. I tell you what, you learn so much more about how to ask the right questions when you're being taught. So I now know um, because of my teaching, what I don't understand or how to phrase, I don't understand this. Could you explain it again? Mm-hmm. You know, like that, gaining that confidence. And I think that has been so important because at university, I didn't know how to ask that um, in my undergraduate. I think I just sort of thought, oh, if I don't understand it, maybe I'm stupid. But now I have the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to ask a question because I don't understand it and that's okay. So yeah, it's about owning that kind of, I don't know everything and that's all right. Nobody knows everything. Yeah. And it's also speaking up for those who feel not confident enough to ask the question, because if, if you don't understand it, there's, there's likely to be somebody else that, that doesn't, but don't have the confidence to ask the question. I just having a flashback to my first year of university when um, we were doing medieval music mm-hmm. and there was some discussion of the solfeggio system, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And I, would, I quite literally said to the professor in front of the whole year group, I was like, oh, I thought that was invented by Rogers and Hammerstein. Yeah. And, you know, and everybody laughed and oh, everybody had a good time. And then I remember on a night out a few weeks later, about yeah. six, Seven people said to me, "Oh yeah, I also, um, I also let <laughs> do a deer exactly." <laughs> you know, I didn't know that these like Renaissance and medieval people were composing things using Rogers and Hammersteins. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, yeah, you, you, once you allow yourself to feel a bit stupid, and sometimes it's kind of embarrassing, but you realise that there's so many other people like you who also don't know something. Yeah. Or or get confused and it's okay you know it's that I'm I'm so okay with it now because I've because I've done it enough <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also I mean let's let's face it that vulnerability has probably come about quite a few times when you've worked with teenagers and, oh my and God. they suffer no fools 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, the thing is, is that you have to have a thick skin. Oh my goodness. You have to have a thick skin, not only about your teaching and like, you know, I remember one kid just (laughs) putting his hand up in one lesson being like, I want you to know that this is really boring. (laughs) 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 And we were learning about um, minimalism and we were doing Steve Reich who I love. How can he be boring? Yeah. But then I got, I got everyone up and I was like, fine, we're doing clapping music. That's it. <laughs> and then after that, he was like, oh, I really wish we'd carried on being boring because he was so tired. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you have to have a thick skin. Oh, my God. I mean, I've even had one year 10 boy tell me that my hair looks like um, super noodles. It's okay. You know, you've got to, and like no review on any opera stage will tell me that my hair looks like super noodles. So I'm yeah. fine. Thick skin. <laughs> so i would like to ask what if you had to say choose a number of things let's say three things that you would want listeners to take away from our conversation today or from your experience what would those be three things okay Mm -hmm. i would say number one learn how to do something else, learn how to not just be a singer, because I promise you, or, you know, or just a violinist or just a pianist, because I promise you that's not a job in itself. You have to have something else that makes you a great, you know, storyteller, a great artist and any other job, whether you work as, God, I don't know, a plebotomist or a gardener, something else that you have as a passion I promise you it will inform your life Mm -hmm. and it will inform your musical life so having that and even if you don't study it formally that's a fine you know just have something else that makes you okay I'm good at this because I can really explain something when I have good pedagogical skills so that's number one number two I would say is always try and imagine your audience as though they're children (laughs) Um, always try and imagine that the people that are listening to your piece of music, to whatever you're performing, whether it's contemporary or really, really well-established part of the canon, make sure that you make it so accessible. Make sure that you don't just take things for granted that they'll, oh, they'll understand this. Mm. Make sure that you show them what's going on and that you love it to, sh- to, to, to really kind of bring that to them because that's your job. You're performing it. I know that some people will disagree with me, but, I really think it's important to to bring them in, make them feel comfortable. And I guess, thirdly, just having a thick skin, like we just talked about. <laughs> I think as a, as a singer, especially, but as any kind of musician, you have to have a thick skin. Mm-hmm. And doing something like teaching where, you know, I was up at 5.45am every morning, wouldn't come home until, you know, you have long, hard days. Sometimes they're really difficult. But you have to have that thick skin. You have to have that motivation and that determination and you have to know that okay what I'm doing is worth it and not lose sight of that because there were some days when I felt like giving up teaching that I'm not I wasn't a great teacher on lots of days nobody's good at singing every single day nobody's good at playing the piano every week you know Mm -hmm. and and it's okay to feel you know disheartened and feel really rubbish but just keep that thick skin and keep going forward and I, I think that that thick skin, especially with singers, I, I thought about this the other day. You guys audition a little bit like actors as well. 
you guys audition for so many roles, so many competitions, so many, so many activities that you have to audition for. And I guess the balance between rejection letters and acceptance letters, the, the balance must always fall stronger on the rejection letters, or is that a misconception I've got? Oh no, not at all. I think <laughs> I think it's um God, it's really hard, you know, and I'm still quite early in my career, but still of course I've experienced rejection mm-hmm. and also experienced acceptance. And I think years ago I I would have felt literally on cloud nine for an acceptance. And I still do, of course, feel joy. Mm-hmm. But I would have also experienced extreme disappointment at rejections and of course I still experience some disappointment Mm -hmm. but I get about maybe as you grow as you as you mature and some people do it at different ages and that's fine and that's why yes even though I'm 25 people always tell me that I sound like I'm about 50 which is fine (laughs) (laughs) different life experiences and different personalities inform different you know kind of reactions to this but I think it's about leveling off that very top extreme extreme heightened um happiness and also that extreme extreme disheartened sadness mm-hmm. and somewhere in the middle and finding okay I got that role I did a really good job I'm really proud of myself and here's how I can keep doing it and do and you know keep working hard and keep getting better mm-hmm. and <laughs> look at me speaking like this as if as if I still don't feel rejected <laughs> you know we all feel <laughs> We all feel it, but it's about having that that ability to when you get rejections because there are like a hundred to one, you know, yeah. and about having that and saying, okay, that's fun, that's absolutely, you know, difficult and it's hurting me, but I I know that that's because I didn't do as well as I could have done, or more like okay, someone else is really well suited to that and I will be in five years or mm-hmm. maybe I'll be suited to something else. And that's, you know, it's so hard and so difficult. But it's it's actually similar when you have a full-time job as a teacher or something. You know, it's, and I know I'm always going on about it, but it, it does inform those things when you think, okay, oh God, um, I didn't do as well at that lesson or I'm not as good at teaching this. That's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Just take your strengths, love them and work on some of those weaknesses and just try and level it out because you know what, like things will work out for you no matter what you think they will. And it's just having that kind of that knowledge, even though of course I feel as rubbish as other people do when it doesn't go how I want it to. Because I, and I think part of that, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of that feeling rubbish is when, when you get the rejection letter, when you thought you did your best, you gave your all, and perhaps it was just something completely outside that had nothing to do with your artistry that caused you not to get the role. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's you obviously... Know? That's so difficult. And I think you just, you know, you have to realise it sometimes the odds are stacked against you and it's it's not and it's not easy it's not nice and sometimes it feels like I mean god I know more than anyone how it feels like it can be easier for other people mm-hmm. I feel you know I think oh well they've not had to have loads of throat surgeries they're fine yeah. 
you know but I, yeah. what we don't see and what I have to just physically remind myself okay but I don't know what struggles they've been through and you know they're at the top of their game right now and I will be in a couple of years and, and mm-hmm. it's fine to keep that in sight and you know what it is hard and I feel like you know I'm saying this but actually I, I also I do still find it difficult but I think I'm much better at dealing with things like rejection and difficulties than I, I guess some of my some some people my age might be and also I would have been if I hadn't done for example teaching mm-hmm. because remember there are some times when for example you think oh my god I've just taught the best lesson of my life and I can't explain it to you it's like and you if you're not teaching you might think okay that that sounds fun but I tell you it's like <laughs> performance it's like when you come off stage with a hall and you think i have just smashed it yes yeah it's the best feeling i'm telling you and it's and it's amazing and sometimes someone will be there to observe that when people observe your lessons and you'll be like god i am a gift to teach it (laughs) (laughs) and that's what it's like you know when you have a when you have a critic at a performance or something Mm -hmm. god i've really really done well of course, conversely, there will be times when someone will sit in your class and I tell you what, Nico, maybe they just, they don't like you. They don't like yeah. you. <laughs> you know, I had one person <laughs> in my teacher training year from an external school. Uh-huh. They'll, they'll remain nameless because I don't remember their name. But they were like, <laughs> they said, I just think Lydia is a bit too passionate. <laughs> <And I> thought, <laughs> I thought, don't worry about it, babes, because you know, that's fine. That's not your style. Okay. And just yeah. like somebody, you know, you might come bounding into an audition, have an energy or, or have this loud voice or something. And somebody will be like, I love that. I want to be around that. And somebody else will think that's not for me. God. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's about having that. And there were, of course, times as a teacher, a training teacher, I thought, how can they not like me? I'm so friendly. But, you know, you just, it, you come to terms with it. And you realise it's about it's about them or their company or who else they've cast or whatever, and you just start to think, okay, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a bummer, but you get over it and you go on to something else. You go on to the next lesson. You teach the next period. You don't even have a break sometimes, and yes. you just <laughs> gosh. Well, Lydia, thank you so much. This was such a fantastic chat. I love your passion and your dedication. And just the way in which you you just embrace everything you do. And I'm really honoured that you decided to be a guest on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What an honour it is to talk to you. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Would Mozart Do? If you want to hear more, you can find other episodes on your podcast provider. Feel free to get in touch with me via Instagram at whatwouldmozartdo, follow me on Twitter or email info at whatwouldmozartdo.com.